www.radio.nz. Welcome to Books and Beyond with your hosts, Karen and Luisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a library, yeah. Standing there behind the counter, willing to help with all the problems. In 1900, Auckland was home to 500 gas lamps and 50,000 people. A city in name, if not yet in earnest, it was barely past its frontier beginnings. A canyon of robust stone buildings now hinted at permanence. Astride a lumpy isthmus, lapped by the tides of two large harbors, this unpretentious outpost of Britain remained wedded more to nature than man. Last, loneliest, loveliest, exquisite, apart, romanced Rudyard Kipling on his one reconnaissance. Kia ora, everyone. Kia ora, Luisa. Kia ora, Karen. That's me setting the scene for today when we're celebrating Tamaki Makoro for Auckland Anniversary Day. That was Morris Shadbolt from Dove on the Waters describing Auckland in 1900. And now, wait for it, here's Pip Adam on Auckland 100 years later. You ready? Mm-hmm. Carla stopped on the way at Fort Green for a cup of peppermint tea. The barista was a big tea drinker. Fort Green was awful, but Verona didn't open until lunchtime, and she needed a decent cup of tea. The whole of St. Kevin's Arcade was awful now. All the new owner had done was clean it up, the walls, the tiles. Or maybe they'd painted, but the whole mall seemed to call out for help. It was terrified in his bright new white. She'd spent hours in the cafe at the end of the arcade, sitting at one mismasked table or another under the large windows. And as a teenager, she'd climbed the stairs drunkenly on Sunday afternoon up from Myers Park. But now it was clean, and the cafe down the end of the arcade served ricotta donuts to men in suits, and she couldn't stand it. She'd lived in Auckland for 43 years, and it still wasn't finished. Nothing stayed in place. Oh, thank you. That was lovely. Yeah, so um, that's from The New Animals, which I hope everyone has heard of. It's won the Fiction Award at the Auckland New Zealand Book Awards, um, and it's a really great book. So I'm in the middle of it right now. I'm really loving it. So that fit in just perfectly for the fact that here we are talking about Auckland. And we've got these two visions. How do those seem to you, Louisa? Well, um, well, quite different, of course. Uh, what is it? A hundred years apart? Yeah. Um, but you know, that St. Kevin's Arcade, every time you visit it, really just, um, evoke some sort of bygone era feeling as well as the, you know, current modern vibe. So it's a, it's a beautiful setting for an introduction to a show on our beautiful city. And, um, so I just wanted to, um, say that like our taste in books I think um, yours and my story about Auckland or our Auckland stories couldn't be more different um, I'm one of the shrinking group who was born raised and still living in Auckland and uh, I, I read a stat recently that says oh it's over 40% of Aucklanders 
we're not born in Auckland and I you sort of thought well you know you say oh man <laughs> I'm feeling out of place in my own town here <laughs> but but you know this is a good thing diversity um and it adds to the vibe of our our city as it is these days and it's let's face it it's always been an immigrant city as well if you if you weren't coming to Auckland from overseas you were definitely coming to Auckland from elsewhere in the country for work education or just to have a good time so um but it's my mum who has the, uh, a far more interesting story, because I, I like this line, you know. Um, if you ask my mum where she comes from, she says, well, I'm a girl from Wellesley Street, which is really cool from uh, coming from a lady in her 70s. And uh, she says, my home was in Wellesley Street, uh, number 135, I think, which is currently a building site next to the Les Mills car park for those trying to place where it is. Um, so, But back then it was a, an old wooden villa that my mum grew up in. Uh, she went to the Campbell Free Kindergarten in Victoria Park, um, a well-known landmark building on the edge of the park. She attended primary school at the Napier Street School, which is no longer there. Um, then she went. So on, that would be near where Freeman's Bay Primary is now. I guess Napier so. I Street, guess, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, I think you can see the buildings where it was from the motorway when you go onto the North Shore motorway uh, onto the motorway mm. to get to the North Shore. Um, then she went to Seddon Tech High School, which is in Wellesley Street, which is now AUT. Um, but Seddon Tech, for those who don't know, actually later morphed into what is now Western Springs College. Um, her first job was at Summit Shirts, which was back then also on Wellesley Street, on the west side of Wellesley Street. Oh, how old was she been then? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I haven't asked her that yeah. detail. I suppose I should. But you know, the point is, I, I guess you can see we were a very small town in my mum's day. Everything yeah. was there right on her doorstep within a couple of kilometres reach. So true. Yeah. I mean, even where she was born in St. Helen's Hospital on Pitt Street um, was a walking distance from home. And I do wonder if my nana, well, actually mum's a twin, uh, if nana actually, you know, sort of pushed them home in the pram down the hill to the house in uh, Wellesley Street. So, um but she did spread her wings eventually. She nursed at Green Lane Hospital and later met my dad at the Orange Dance Hall in Newton Road. So. Oh, that'll <laughs> be in that book you were saying, Blue Smoke. You'll certainly talk about oh, the yeah. dance hall. Oh, they love driving yeah. down Newton Road and, you know, you yeah. see the, the memories come back to them. But I'm disappointed, though. I couldn't find a book uh, on the history of Mum's Neighbourhood. So if there's a, a historian out there listening, perhaps a project for you. Mm, possibly one of our historians at the library is probably already listening and going, oh, I can't believe Lisa doesn't know about that book. I know. Have. <laughs> well, I've got please. a book. So I'm one of those. Me. Sorry? Uh, please enlighten me. Yeah, please yeah. find it for me. <laughs> um, so I've got a book. Um, I'm one of those 500,000 people who has moved to Auckland since the millennium. Actually, I arrived at the millennium. So maybe I'm like number three of the 500,000 <laughs> since I arrived actually a month or two before the millennium and, um, and moved to Grey Lynn. And I found this wonderful book. I um, actually already knew about it. It's a classic and it's actually, um, there's two books of Greyland. This is the older one, and it's my favorite. It's called High Hopes in Hard Times, A History of Greyland and Westmere. And it's written by Karen Hiyama, who did a lot of research at the Greyland, was supported at the Greyland Library. She thanks for one of the things that she thanks, one of the acknowledgments. And um, it's a wonderful book, oh, black and white photographs of old Greyland, and really interesting um, uh, um, insights into life in those days. So, you know, we live in these villas in Greyland, and we all go, oh, that was the parlor. You can see how small it is and how because people only came in there sat on special occasions. Well, actually, she explains how 
people didn't go into each other's houses at all. And they never had people over to dinner. That was the thing you didn't do in the early days. And um, and then she has these wonderful descriptions. It's interesting, isn't it? No yeah. Dinner parties. I yeah, was just thinking. No, yeah. Yeah. But they met in lawns. They chatted in their lawns. But we're going back to that day with our sort of smaller dwelling uh, apartment living. Well, I hope we're not getting up. We're, we're meeting over. in the cafes and restaurants. Are we yeah. going back oh, to yeah. those days? Yeah, in yes. a way, yeah. But I hope we still have people over for dinner. Well, maybe not. <laughs> You're right. Oh, I'm waiting for my <laughs> invite, Karen. Easier. Invite me anytime. <laughs> anyway, so she has these wonderful descriptions of um, Greylin, also physically the landscapes of how it's changed, especially uh, the part on Greylin Park where Cox's Creek, I don't know how many people know this, flowed right through what is now Greylin Park. And um, it was uh, now been turned into an underground drain, as many will know. But she has a description by a man named Frank Castle, possibly a family that lived on Castle Street, who moved to Sussex Street in 1901, so the time of that Morris Shadbolt quote. And he remembers how the boys used to go down and build dams on Cox's Creek and swim. And then in the evening, they sit around and make damper. And there's a part about how the girls, there's a quote from one of the women who was a girl then, and she says, no, the girls couldn't go because there was gambling down there. So, um, yeah, it's a really, really, really great book. And it goes all the way up to the 1970s, 1990s, and the arrival of the Pacific Islanders um, in Greyland. Well, since the 50s have been arriving, but it goes all the way up to the 70s and the 90s. And it has a wonderful chapter, so I just love this. So the last chapter of this period is called Might Be a Samoan. And she quotes one of the people that she's talking to, taking the oral history, as saying why they feel good when they're walking around the streets of Greylin. And they say, when you see a dark person up the road, you're happy. Might be a Samoan. Oh. Yeah, it's just so, so celebratory. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, for my own family, my father's family, we had a house in Gunson Street in Ponsonby before everyone moved out to the south side. And, um, yeah, we had lovely, lovely memories of... Um, visiting there, spending lots of time there with my grandmother trying to teach me to vai-vai in, in one of those uh, parlour rooms of, uh, of the villa. Um, but, well, I live, I think most people know because I talk about Teatu Library so much, I live in Teatu Peninsula, a much more, um, well, shall we say, may not be have that colourful history that Greylin has, but I think just as interesting. And it was, it's my, my, beautiful suburb, has been illustrated in a book called Teatre to Me, Photographs of an Urban New Zealand Village by John B. Turner. So it's a collection of everyday life photographs uh, that John took over a seven-year period, um, which I guess is an account for of, of a changing suburb, only seven years, not hundreds of years like Greyland. Um, but uh, he's, he was a, yo- a local resident at the time that he took these. I don't think he is anymore, um, but he can correct me, I guess. <laughs> a lecturer of photography at Elam Arts, and he writes this. My hope is that these photographs are visible evidence of this typical urban New Zealand village and that they will prove useful for future generations to better understand something of the history of this place. So he sees Te Atatū as a microcosm of New Zealand society, and I think that's true because it wasn't that long ago that it was a rural finger, finger of flat land um, isolated from the rest of Auckland. We have the Henderson Creek on one side, the beautiful Waitemata Harbour on the other, and there's just one road in and out. And it was the um, the building of the Northwestern Motorway in the 1960s that um, that developed this working class suburban neighbourhood uh, that I grew up in, and um, which I still live in, <laughs> like my mother now. I'm just thinking, oh, I'm just like my mum. So um, 
and he thinks, and I think it's true, that these days Auckland suburbs are multicultural um, and a lot of them are, I guess, more middle class than, than working class. And, um, well, in Tiarita we're a population of retirees also because we're flat and everything's handy. But it's also always been a popular uh, suburb with young families. So um, as the um, testament with <laughs> our regular rhyme sessions at the library, we have so many young babies and mums coming in every week. It's just lovely. So um, so I think, yes, so that's, that's Turner's book. And I think that perhaps he was alarmed at the speed of change. Um, already in the book, you can see what the book is like eight years old and already some of the businesses that he photographed or captured in it have long since gone. And some of them I didn't even remember when I had a look at, a, at the book again recently. So um, that is my neighbourhood. Mm, I mean, a- quite different from yours, but, you know. Yeah, I'm, well, different, different is as different does. Um, I like the insight about the flatness and the older people <laughs> living in a place with flat. So that was before the days of electric bicycles, because with the electric bicycles now, older people need no longer fear um, hilly true. suburbs. No, we're talking older people as in mobility scooters. Yeah, so they can't go up hills. <laughs> mobility scooters can't go up hills. No, lime scooters can, oh. but I haven't seen any of them on a lime scooter yet, actually. <laughs> um, oh, actually. I wanted to add Teatro to me the title this is funny because for a photographer I don't know um, how uh, this comes across to photographers but I th- I, it's a laugh for me so he, he was photographing Teatro to Meets the butcher a local butcher uh, but, uh, the ATS was didn't make it into the frame <laughs> and so as a result you know I guess I, you could say it reflected back on him the sort of error that's <laughs> wonderful I, I guess and, yeah. and the title was born you know <laughs> yeah yeah as you started to speak I had a, a light bulb went on in my mind um, I just want to put in a plug so what I want to say so we've done our suburbs but the library is full of books on Auckland suburbs so everybody can go look for their own and um, or come in and go to your local research center they're scattered around our, our four points of the compass and point, ask Karen. Yeah, 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 yeah. because we'll that Teatro to Me book is the, one of the most popular books in the Teatro to Library. People new to the area have heard about it and they come in and they seek it out or people visiting who used to live there. So, yeah, you're quite right. These books are very popular. Yeah, these books and books on other suburbs and I'm going to just put out a shout for two great New Zealand historians, Jenny Carlyon and Diana Morrow, who've written books on quite noted um, books which I've seen. The One is the history of Ramuera, Meadowbank and St. John's, if that's your suburb. A Fine Prospect is called. And another which is Ponsonby, this is for your father. Ponsonby, Freeman's Bay and St. Mary's Bay and it's called Urban Village. And it contains such gems as um, so this is the motto of the Ponsonby Boys Brass Band. We exalt our masters, pupils and our glorious empire. Our work and profit are centered on one word, example. <laughs> Did you like my, I put a little British accent on example. <laughs> oh, it didn't sound so good in American. <laughs> Probably wasn't done very well. Anyway, um, and you had one, you had something about a suburb. What was yours? Well, actually, no, I didn't, um, it's not particularly a suburb. It's just something that's very dear to Auckland, I believe, anyway. So we can't talk about Auckland, especially during anniversary weekend, without mentioning our beautiful harbours. And um, I found Auckland by the Sea, 100 Years of Work and Play by David David Johnson. And I think it's fascinating. Black and white photographs, maps, drawings, depicting the historical significance of our two beautiful harbours. 
um, I guess being a long strip of land hosting, what, six, 1.6 million people, um, you know, transport and infrastructure is a, is a bit of a nightmare for the planners. But having these harbours is a blessing that we really appreciate. And um, so there were a couple of photos that really struck me, um, photographs of Aucklanders enjoying um, our beaches back in the day. So there's one here um, of uh, in January 1912, so summer 1912, at um, Cheltenham Beach. So uh, with easy the caption reads, with easy access from the city by ferry and bus, Cheltenham was a popular spot in summer's days. In January 1912, the beach was crowded with picnickers, more promenaders and paddlers than bathers. And it's true. Uh, the first thing that strikes you is that they're all fully clothed and it's January. You know the humidity in Auckland in January. And everyone's got long sleeves. Um, there's not a bit of skin on sight. But they are sensibly wearing hats. And there are a few children in in the water swimming, but it's absolutely packed. We've always loved our beaches, you know. They all the all the photos in this book are of people enjoying our wonderful beaches and harbours. So um, that is Auckland by the Sea. Really good read. Recommend it. So yeah, that's, that's what I had. That's I, I might get that <laughs> one next. <laughs> but it's interesting because I was um, actually musing on a very similar topic uh, relatedly to the fact that you can't talk about Auckland if we start from the, um, you know, exalting our master's pupils and our glorious empire. But in the present, we, um, I find the Pacific present such an important part of Auckland. And um, Oh, thank you, Karen. Yeah, That's so true. I want to celebrate the Pacific present in Auckland. And I've brought in a poem by the dazzling John Poulet. So, um, you think that's funny? I always... No, I'm just saying you think it's funny that I'm using the word dazzling. No, no, no. no it's <laughs> I saw a grin. He's an um, artist as well. He is. He's an artist and a poet. He's the artist who did my favorite work at the Auckland Art Gallery in Toyotamaki, which is that to all new arrivals on the ground floor, that huge wall with the dark blue and the yes, history. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to all new arrivals, that's me. Um, and he was born in Niue and grew up in South Auckland. And the reason why I called him the dazzling John Poulet, I saw you smile. A, a yeah, because then I, I just had this image of his artwork. <laughs> He's actually say. got this wonderful line, um, this, which really expresses. I was lucky enough to meet John Poulet once at a um, poetry reading we did at the library. And this is really sums him up. His, his uh, what were you using? What was the word you using? Vibe. The best ideas come from where I come from. Where I was born is a spectacular event in itself. And that is dazzling for me as an idea. Isn't that wonderful? So, um, so I've brought this poem for to celebrate Auckland and all the new arrivals to Auckland and Auckland's Pacific present. And it has no title. So I'm going to plunge right in. And here it is. When I came to your shore, I was a nobody. I had no name. I am what you call a stateless man. I was blind. But then I touched this soil I saw a moon. I had an immense feeling. Oh. Yeah, I hope it didn't sound too um, <laughs> oratorical in that. But I just love that. I saw the moon. I had an immense feeling. That was exactly when I stepped mm. off the plane uh, when we arrived in New Zealand and I saw the sky. In my case, it was daytime. I saw the sky, not the moon. That was, I had an immense feeling. Yeah, and I hear this all the time from people who, who moved to New Zealand Um the, the joy that they have at seeing, being able to see the stars and moon at night, um, you know, and we, as an Aucklander, we take this for granted. We just think it's always there. Um, and, and that, um, 
that vista of Auckland as you fly in is, you know, compared to other cities, is just breathtaking, isn't it? So, um, yes, we are. Yeah, we are. I'm trying to think who is lucky that? people to Yeah. Who was that person who said there was just a quote about somebody saying from the top of, was it Mount Eden or can't remember and looking down over the harbors and saying and laughing about somebody else's quote about you know the the spectacular beauty of the such and such an older city than Auckland and saying I think Auckland you've taken it away (laughs) (laughs) that was really good we do we just take the beauty for granted don't we so um I want to move into some fiction now because um I've come across this book and and I and I want to say that Reading books set in your own city has the added advantage of coming across these personal connections. And um, because I, I, I thought about it more when I re- recently read a book called A Dinner Guest by a new Spanish author, Gabriel Yabara, and unexpectedly she mentions the street where the family in it live, um, Avenida de los Chopos in Guecho, Spain. And um, so it's where I lived and where I walked, where I ran, where I drove down that road for a year so I was hooked into that book for more than just its storyline and uh, so I've picked up this book because it gives it, it has that same connection for me um, so it's Love as a Stranger by Owen Marshall and um, if you don't mind I'm going to read how it starts because this is how it grabbed me so hopefully it grabs you people in love have a longing to tell others how they met even if the circumstances are banal or it be suppressed It's an expression of their wonder and gratitude for having found each other. Sarah and Hartley met in the old Simon Street Cemetery, though neither had links with any of the residents there. Summer, and the shade of the large trees, was inviting, despite the dereliction of the place and the long, disordered grass encroaching on the sloping paths. Sarah had been at an afternoon tea at the Langham Hotel. Afterwards, she crossed the road and went down the steps into the sloping and shadowy cemetery in search of quiet time before returning to her husband and their apartment. Almost the first grave she came to proved a fascination. A small headstone set before a larger one. It said, Sacred to the memory of Emily Mary, the beloved daughter of George and Emily Keeling of Arch Hill, who was shot while on her way to the Primitive Methodist Church Bible Class, Alexandra Street, April the 12th, 1886, aged 17 years. So, while well, I'm stunned to read this at the opening of this particular book because my mother is from Emily Keeling's family. And, in fact, a great aunt was named after her. And my mother has a picture of Grandfather Keeling, also a George Keeling, not the same one mentioned on the headstone, uh, uh, hanging at home. So um, the book is actually about, um, uh, so I'm reading this book, it's about an affair that follows between Sarah and Hartley who happened to meet while in the cemetery, visiting the cemetery on that hot afternoon. And um, so thanks to this intro, um, I'm absolutely hooked into this book. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? You know, um, we recommended these blockbusters to read and yet there's more than one reason to read a book. So this small personal connection means I'm reading this book and I'm really enjoying it, which I may not have you know, picked up beforehand, but um, there you go. So that's Love as a Stranger by Owen Marshall. I believe Owen's written several 
hundreds? Well, <laughs> not I sure hundreds. The first one that I read. Definitely double digits. But I love that part when you said about the photograph hanging in your parents' house or grandparents' house. Was it the photograph? My parents' the house, yeah. yeah. Because in that piece that I read from Morris Shadbold of Auckland 1900, I didn't want to read for too long, but it actually goes on to say, is speaking about Walter, the, the protagonist of this um, book, and he says... Um, he was the kind of endearing, I've just grabbed the book and looked it up because I just remembered it so well because I loved it. He was the kind of endearingly eccentric Victorian gentleman relatives delight in recalling. <laughs> For much of the 20th century, no New Zealand living room was complete without a forefather like Walter heroically attempting a smile from a silver frame on an antique sideboard. <laughs> oh, so that's why <laughs> Mama has it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Offering a smile. So um, I'm going to, um, I've gotten into a poetry wave here, but I want to um, read a poem by Bob Orr. So Bob Orr is one of my absolute favorite poets and has just has a new book out. And he's... Um, written lots about Auckland, not an original, what, what is the word, not a native of Auckland, but um, worked here his whole life and um, on the wharfs, on the waterfront. And he has this beautiful poem in his new book, which is called 100 Poems in a Year. And this poem that I've picked is called A Palm Tree in Freeman's Bay. It is in a bus stop shelter. Although not a wedding guest, he detains me thus, shipped out on a freighter with a blue star on its funnel. And again I walk those slum streets to the sea where the derricks of that freighter reflected in the tide imperceptibly tilt faraway skies. Whatever they lacked, it wasn't laughter, those ribald, barefooted, weatherboarded, seagull-shadowed streets of ship jumpers, ring bolters, pilfered cargo, bookies, sly grog shops, and social visionaries. Those streets where bread became contraband have left a charter still unsigned. The Freeman's Bay, he relates to me, is a stamp on a letter from a foreign country, formerly known as the Republic of the Middle of Last Century. Although the palm tree above me is moored to the pavement, its fronds undulate like a frigate bird's wings. In the shadow of the sky tower's seedless stalk, I pluck lavender growing wild through a picket fence in Freeman's Bay. I place a small sprig in my pocket as if it were an invitation to a banquet. In the hieroglyphs of a stormwater plate, I discern a ship laying a course to the moon. The night sky above the palm tree is a cruise ship to eternity. I once saw heaven above the Suez Canal, cries the old Jack Tar, bidding me farewell, as he boards a bus that can find its way by the stars. <laughs> so that's what you were saying, our skies, our stars. Yes. Yeah. So uh, evocative. Now, I actually have a, have we got time to mention my last um, novel? Yes, book? yes, absolutely. Yeah, sorry. Um, because we can't, um, we need to mention Fiona Kidman's new book, The Mortal Boy. Um, so it is a recreation of a well-known historical crime that happened in Auckland in the 1950s. Sorry, I'm sounding like I'm rushing, but I, I'm aware that... No, no, you no, don't have to rush. Oh, good, great. <laughs> so <laughs> Fiona gets all the time she needs. Oh, thank you, Karen. Because it's one of those crimes that shocked shocks the nation, you know, um, enough to make us react, perhaps overreact from the horror we feel. And um, so I actually... I. I vaguely was aware of this crime. Um, I thought it was known as the milk bar killing, but uh, I think I got it mixed up because um, Fiona um, tells us the killer's nickname was the jukebox killer. So milk 
anyway, so it is the story of Albert Black, a young man from Northern Ireland um, who kills Alan Jacques in a Queen Street cafe. And at the time when conservative New Zealand is coming to grips with the whole rock and roll era and its influence or bad influence on youth, um, the politicians were worried. And so this poor 20-year-old immigrant boy is tried and uh, convicted for the murder against the backdrop of this political mood at the time. And so sadly, he was hung for the crime in Mount Eden Prison and um, was the second to last person to be executed in New Zealand. So I think I'm looking forward to reading this. I think it's going to be a really good read and set in Auckland, a bit of Auckland history in a riveting novel. So that was what I wanted to add to our show today. And I also want to give a plug to um, when I was reading the uh, piece from Love is a Stranger um, by Sarah attending a high tea in the Langham Hotel. I noticed that. I Yes, and I thought, oh, I need to mention during the month of February in, every, in all your local libraries is um, Blind Date with a Book and if you borrow a book from a Blind Date with a Book display as part of Valentine's Day, you can actually win one of those high teas, uh, from the, which is now the Cordes Hotel, formerly the Langham. So I just thought I'd throw that in, Karen. Yes, well, well thrown in. And that does wrap up our show for today. I hope everybody's um, enjoyed these views of Auckland and continues to find new ways to love Auckland because, after all, let's not forget that Auckland name, Tamaki Makauro, is translated as Tamaki of a Hundred Lovers. So, a hundred ways to love Auckland and a hundred lovers. Oh, that is so clever and well put. Thank you, Karen. I really enjoyed today's show with you. So, yeah. kakiteano. Kakiteano of all our listeners and we'll be back next week. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9:35 p.m. on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz/slash books and beyond. Every day, every day.